I've come to quite like having low vision, as silly as that sounds. You're listening to Legally Blind. Don't for one minute think that if you can't read music, you can't compose. A podcast with Bobby Golder. How are you a Paralympian? That's a question I ask myself every day, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a better time to be disabled, Bobby. Today, Bobby chats to Jay Pocknell. Hello and welcome to another episode of Legally Blind. My name is Bobby Golder and this week we're going to hear for the first time from an audio engineer, um, a super interesting guy called Jay Pocknell, who um, not only is a fully practicing mix and mastering engineer with some super interesting insight into that kind of world, um, but he's also just launched an amazing initiative called Sound Without Sight, um, which he'll tell you all about in a bit, but it's essentially a kind of forum uh, online platform for blind and partially sighted musicians, uh, sound engineers, anyone in the kind of audio music world to seek advice, resources, and also just kind of generally getting the industry talking to each other a bit about how to make stuff more accessible. Um, so I'll leave it there for now. He'll tell you about it from the horse's mouth. Um, but I hope you enjoy this episode. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I feel like a bit of an imposter, really. I've been involved in a lot of really nice projects, but I'm I'm still surprised myself to be doing stuff like this. <laughs> I think we all feel like imposters to an extent, especially the sort of freelance world. You know, like you sort of you sort of come out and say like, "Hello, world, I do this." And, yeah, yeah. You who's know, to say how qualified we are to really say all that? <laughs> um, would it be all right if you just maybe just explain a bit about about what kind of vision you have to begin with? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I guess, the primary thing that I've got going on is something called nystagmus and what people will see and like the most commonly understood thing about it is that it's a kind of involuntary movement of the eyes um so if if you if if someone was to look like closely at my eyes they would be they would appear to be kind of shaking almost constantly and it's it's a funny one because it's it affects my sight a lot but um what people find it hard to understand sometimes is that it's not really to do with my eyes themselves it's it's more of a neurological thing um so it's a neurological thing that's causing the eyeball to kind of move exactly so yeah you know if, if you're taking a photo and your your hands are a bit shaky everyone's hands are a little bit shaky um you can turn on image stabilization on, on your camera and what that tries ah. to do is filter out all of the movement from your hands and the lens and all that kind of thing that'd be handy wouldn't it <laughs> so that's what my brain is doing the whole time so my, my eyes are always moving but i'm not seeing a kind of shaky picture all the time if that makes sense i see all oh, right so your brain is is actually doing a kind of stabilization exactly so I, I see a fairly a fairly steady image as it were but it's a, almost like a predicted image um, yeah because that's very interesting and like because of that you you know it gets it a bit wrong sometimes um sometimes where i think something might be in space it actually isn't and sometimes it something might randomly change or teleport a little bit because where my brain thought it was it suddenly updates wow <laughs> if that makes sense okay and like if i'm reading text where my focus is jumping about a little bit sometimes i can without even meaning to or kind of even knowing until after i've read a line i might have skipped a line halfway through or i, I might have read mm. some words the wrong way around because my my brain saw them okay so it's a few sort of parallels or like similar results or similar symptoms to maybe something like dyslexia but yes yeah. cause from a different sort of 
part of the brain you know it's it's a visual based reorganization of the words yeah and I, the image that i see around me is fairly sharp i guess but i i guess i just don't have that much confidence in it a lot of the time right for one example like being in a bar and seeing other people you know my my brain is recreating that scene out of things that i know so almost everyone around me looks like people that i've met in the past wow that's amazing so yeah i mean earlier you described your your vision as a kind of cocktail of a few different uh things going on a few different conditions what are some of the other ingredients if we've got <laughs> nystagmus as um, you know as the gin nystagmus <laughs> itself is a bit of a mysterious beast and then beyond that I, I guess i've got the more kind of weirdly shaped eyeball and a weirdly shaped lens and all those kind of things um, and they're the bits that having glasses can go some way towards correcting not completely okay. but um having astigmatism and stuff like that it gives me a slightly warped image to begin with so yeah it's those kind of things really and they kind of add up and just mean that because my brain's doing all that extra processing I can get tired quite quickly yeah that makes I relate to that a lot sometimes I like I've sort of notorious amongst friends for kind of napping easily or like falling asleep in random places 100% yeah 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 (laughs) and I sort of I don't know I didn't really think about that as being at all relevant to my vision and then as I thought about it more, I thought maybe I do just sort of find the world quite tiring because yeah. I'm having to put in so much more effort to sort of, you know, process all the visual information and stuff. I'm the same. Like I can get to the end of the day and be completely wiped out. <laughs> um, I mean, there are worse things, you know. Yeah, a nap yeah. is a is a great. Is a I great know. I, I, I love I love a nap. <laughs> Habit to, to fall into. <laughs> Were you in uh, mainstream mainstream school? Yes. Or did yeah, you? yeah. 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 Um, okay. Which I actually that that worked fine. I think the the friction or the shock came a bit later on after graduating, what well, finishing school, doing university, graduating from there, and then kind of jumping into the real world. It felt like there wasn't that same level of support for many reasons, really. But um, you know, you you kind of don't know what you got till it's gone. Speaking of jumping into the real world. Um... As a freelance audio engineer, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty real world uh, thing to do. <laughs> um, uh, how did you kind of come to be into uh, into sound and music? Oh, I was kind of um, thrust into it, really. <laughs> um, you were forced. I was forced. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. No, I, um, my parents, although, you know, not in a professional way, they were always in bands and stuff, punky yep. alternative type music. You've seen the punk type. <laughs> <laughs> do I? <laughs> um, so there are always just instruments around. So I think I naturally took on that kind of role quite early of kind of the producer or the recording engineer and just kind of had people over to record. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of music that you'd been sort of, you know, doing uh, at home in your spare time or your life, that's quite an oral-based thing. You know, you're not really exactly learning yeah. that stuff by sight reading and yeah, sort of yeah. practicing your scales. So it's quite a natural way to get come into it, I imagine. I never really did the notation thing so much. I mean, some of that might have been because of the fact that scores and, and things like that can be quite hard to access. When, when I did have to start reading scores and stuff, you know, GCSE, A-level, at that point in time, I was never quite able to find the solution for me, um, if that makes sense. I was very, very lucky to get a job at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama as their uh, kind of in-house recording engineer. Um, so part, wow, that's of, part of the audiovisual team there. And that just that's what kind of opened up my just experience with an absolute multitude of, of genres. I'm just amazed that, I mean, because I'm, I don't really call myself an audio engineer, but I kind of, I've, I've learned enough to 
do what I need to do, kind of create mock-ups of things mm-hmm. and, you know, I edit this podcast and, and things like that. And I've got basic kind of mixing and mastering. But, like, it took me so long visually to learn all of the software. Yeah. And I found using hardware, like mixing desks and, and stuff, and, like, all of that is was really, really challenging for me. How did that work for you? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, I think little and often over a long period, um, you know, having started recording on Cubase when I was super young like 12 or something yeah (laughs) and just slowly working out how to you know interact with that on a windows machine and then making the jump into pro tools and still being quite young i think going over to the to the mac was a real um was a real great step um because the the accessibility stuff built into mac os is great like um this episode is sponsored by (laughs) apple (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not, not, not at all. But um, you know, just just having like Zoom, um, as in enlarging the screen, having that yeah. function under your fingers at all times, um, and it like working really smoothly. It's really, really good. The the accessibility within Apple products are, are all yeah. just excellent. Yeah, yeah. All, all the things that I've tried in in Windows are quite jerky, which isn't good for my nystagmus. That can kind of set it off a little bit. Okay sort of double double jerky movement exactly going. yeah I, I don't use loads and loads of you know overlays and accessibility tools i have some knowledge about them um you know that comes in at rnib for some people that might find those kind of things useful but i really wanted that kind of mobility as an engineer so i was using as few assistive technology tools as possible if that makes yeah. sense because i wanted to be able to walk into a studio not using my standard setup and still be able to use you know what's there um, yeah. and not spend a load of time setting up and testing bits and bobs. Mm. After my time at Guildhall, um, I spent six or seven years as a kind of professional recording engineer, mix engineer in studios in London. Um, so I was mainly de- based down in Brixton at somewhere called Iguana Studios. So when I was working there, because I was based there like 90% of the time, it meant I could get, you know, the monitor on a nice monitor arm and, you know, get it set up so that, that computer had control and scroll to do the zoom in and all that kind of thing right yeah yeah i think we're something interesting here about like age and the time at which you learn how to do something being quite important because i find it i found it really really difficult to sort of learn like audio software and plugins and and that side of things because i only really started getting into it when i was like 2021 by the which time i'd already kind of lost a lot of my sight and um i'd already kind of got my methods of working around stuff um whereas like scores and notation and and like piano and theory and stuff um come much more naturally because that's the stuff that I was just doing for fun when I was 10 nerd (laughs) um and it sounds like the kind of reverse for you like the notation side of things that doesn't come so naturally to you but you're obviously like a mega audio whiz kid um and you can get around the visual barriers with the sort of you know basic accessibility functions um and it's because yeah that's what you were doing for fun when you were a kid so um it's interesting how like age can come into play quite significantly when you're learning workarounds for different things access wise uh obviously kind of computer-based mixing and mastering we have a lot of tools available to us now like the We've been talking about the Zoom and screen readers and all that stuff. When it comes to hardware, particularly using like a, a, you know, a 72 channel mixing desk, Mm. like that's something that I I never even tried to to, to do when I was learning about about this stuff because it was so unapproachable. It's a double edged sword, really. Um, There there is the argument that 
using a big mixing desk like that, it's so much more tactile um, that once you're familiar with the layout, someone who doesn't have much sight can really get on really well. You can get your hands on faders and, you know, that that is how a lot of blind engineers do work. I don't have loads of experience working with, like, a mixing console. Um, But I will say, when I did try and do that, where I struggle with scanning across text, it's kind of the same with kind of grids or channel strips. Um, Yeah. I find it really hard to kind of jump to a specific channel. I mean, it's it's an interesting one, though, because... Nowadays, we're, we're well, yeah, in the last 10 years or so, we're, we're seeing more and more screen-based desks yeah. with kind of, you know, touchscreen faders and t- everything's a touchscreen, which must really mess things up for for a blind engineer that has Absolutely. that kind of process yeah, and needs yeah. the tactile. Yeah, and there's there's been a lot of um, a lot of talk recently around inclusive design in music products. Um, so I actually ran an event at Google a few weeks ago um, at their HQ in London, which was which was totally crazy and overwhelming, but we did it. Yeah, I attended. <laughs> one element of the event was was that it was the launch of Sound Without Sight. Um, that was kind of just one part of it, though. Um, the, the main point of it, yeah, was the fact that it was a roundtable between, well, most importantly, musicians um, having a voice and getting along music technology manufacturers and music industry kind of bodies and uh, kind of third sector organisations as well and just having a kind of direct conversation with all of those different parties who don't normally talk that much um just about yeah. is music inclusive <laughs> currently yeah and accessible let's just just rewind a bit on uh, on sound without sight this is a, a new initiative and it's your your own kind of creation what's the idea behind it and what's how was it born yeah i guess originally it came out of my own experience i kind of got to where i wanted to get to which is recording commercial commercially available music but i guess i found certain struggles that i wasn't expecting maybe um and I didn't really know where to go to get advice because I wasn't aware of anyone else in the music industry who had any kind of additional access requirements, whether that's sight loss or anything else, really. So I kind of reached out to whoever would talk to me, um, <laughs> you know, to anyone who had sight loss within music, whether professionally or, or not, um, and, and met some really, really good people uh, and just got an idea of what they thought could be useful and kind of put it all together. And it seemed like this idea of an online community hub so a place that could collate all the kind of experience and information around accessing music or audio engineering um, would be a really useful thing. Um, so something that kept coming out is that although there are little bits of information dotted around the internet, it's so hard to discover them unless you're introduced. You know, if you're relying on a screen reader to troll Google. Yeah, Googling stuff is is very, very challenging for me personally. I, I often find it much quicker to just sort of like text a friend or <laughs> I have a very useful friend called Andy who just sort of knows everything or like he's the fastest Googler in the world and it's often quicker to ask Andy a, like any question than it is to Google it for me. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean what Sam Without Sight is at its core is a way to get Andy to more people. <laughs> um, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's really just Andy. It's, it's the, just uh, Andy, on yeah. On yeah. the end of a lot of questions. <laughs> Shout out Andy Campbell-Smith. Nice. <laughs> um, so what it is, yeah, it's, it's a platform where, where people can talk about their own experience um, with accessing music or audio production or anything like that um, and document people's solutions and, and journeys so that if you are trying to access it for the first time or maybe you're a musician or an engineer already and you're losing your site, um, it's somewhere like like one front door 
to a way into all the information in that world just to allow you to hopefully pick up kind of breadcrumb trails a lot more quickly of like the kind of support that might be useful brilliant so if you know you have any kind of question or you know query or you're just not sure like how to find advice it's collected all you know all the advice that there is or it can point you towards different areas of the internet yeah so there is a knowledge hub and any kind of knowledge gaps um, we're looking to fill as well so if there isn't information about a particular thing it's you know hopefully we can reach out to the community and say how would you approach this um because i I, yeah i'm quite happy to admit that i don't know every corner of music i'm not a specialist in every genre or every kind of role how very very humble of you (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah but when you can bring the whole community together it's it's a lot stronger right the other side of it which, which you're familiar with bobby is is the kind of showcasing element so mm. when when there are because there are so many people doing really really good things how do we promote all of that as kind of role models for, for people who want to pick it up and then there's also the features that are written about people from the community like yourself um so yeah you should do a little plug of your own one well it's a great read it's a great read <laughs> <laughs> no i was i was very happy to contribute a little um a little article um just on my experience of of how i've kind of found my little ways of uh of coping and working working around the condition as a musician and, and kind of building a career in that way um so yeah i hope i hope that people find it useful 100 um, percent, they, they, they will um because it's interesting for me as well because your experience it's not a million miles different to mine but yeah, it, it, it. it also is significantly different in some ways. And the solutions that you found and the areas of work that you find yourself in obviously demand different solutions. It's um, really interesting this, yeah, because obviously we have slightly different types of vision loss. But it's very interesting how people with broadly you know, similar experiences, similar kind of inclinations find such different ways of, yeah. of working around. Yeah, taking that a little bit further, the mm-hmm. other aim for sound without sight is to make all of that information not accessible just for people with sight loss but also for people who don't so teachers and you know employers within music um because if if we as people with sight loss still find it difficult to kind of empathize and work out exactly what it's like (laughs) for someone else with sight loss it's like what chance do you give an employer exactly so if we can collate like useful adaptations and solutions and, and all those kind of things it might make the job of access to work a little bit more easier for someone who is an assessor or something like that it's it's great because i know from my experience and my parents experience of kind of dealing with my school who you know kind of they had to really think quite carefully about kind of taking me on and whether they were able to support me and it would have been less of an undertaking for the school if there'd been a a resource like sound without sight to um you know, for them to kind of get information on because it was, it was, you know, they had the, all these meetings and it was yeah. like this, this whole huge undertaking having a partially sighted people in the school. You're like, well, what on earth do we do about this? We've got like, yeah, yeah. we've got to like find all these new ways of, you know, everyone was researching new technology or new ways of kind of blowing yeah, up yeah. books and and texts and stuff. And and although that effort's really nice, um, it also makes you feel as as a child, you know, how am I gonna integrate into you know this later in life if it takes this much effort and like you know you know what i mean it's like it can be a bit of a confidence knocker (laughs) yeah it can be or or it can make you feel kind of unnecessarily well or necessarily but it can make you feel a bit singled out even though it's very much kind of you need it for your to carry out your studies and stuff or any extracurricular stuff 
there's this feeling that you know you're being made a fuss of a lot which yeah 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 again you, you can't really complain because it's it's amazing that it's, the support was there but yeah there's, yeah there's a lot of kind of yeah the, the support know, is 100% there we're just trying to make it a bit of a smoother journey what a launch because I, I was you know I attended on online and there were representatives from all over the music industry it, it was great to see were, were you encouraged by how that went and how people responded 100% yeah there's been a lot of really really good feedback and I think it was like a, an industry-wide let's check in and see where we're at because um, there are there certainly were projects mentioned in there that other people had no idea about um, you know stuff that's happening on the tech side that musicians weren't aware of and stuff that's happening in non-profit world mm. that hadn't actually kind of propagated into the kind of industry yet so it's yeah a real useful kind of check-in in that respect yeah really good and i imagine uh, if all of these different corners of the industry or these different companies are coming up with their own ways of you know how do we make this our our software or whatever it is more accessible you know that they they all might have great ideas and be kind of going in the right direction but going in different directions from each other exactly so and that that was the other side of of the conversation really is like it was cool to hear from all of those different companies what they're doing and it was all quite different um yeah. so th i think the main question was could there be any scope for companies that are normally in competition to kind of take inclusion and accessibility out of that kind of domain of competition and you know collaborate a bit more one segment that um i, actually, I had absolutely no idea about before um this roundtable meeting was the emergence of like new accessible musical instruments mm. what are some of those instruments and how do they work there are some really really good you know pieces of work happening and stuff that you can anyone can just go out and buy so one that comes to mind right away is the the clarion which is developed by open up music um a charity here in here in bristol it's used quite a lot in the national open youth orchestra which okay. is which is also based down in bristol i feel like bristol's where just like all cool things happen in music <laughs> it, it is a little bit of a hub um which is which is great um so the clarion is a it's like a visual instrument which it, it's weird to be talking about in this context of, of this interview but it involves a head tracker and several kind of different methods of you know ways that you can track your body um and and look at different parts of a screen um for, for different notes or different chords or different instruments um so, so it's, it's, it's an electronic instrument yeah and i think that's a lot of where these, these instruments come from is how can we kind of map movements and the, in, the inputs from standard traditional instruments onto different senses or kind of how can we use technology to open up instruments to, to more people? You know, yeah. n none of these things were completely unrecognisable as a musical instrument, but it's just using different types of sensor and different types of kind of input method to create notes and, you know, define what pitch you're aiming at and all, all that kind of thing what does the clarion sound like it's it's completely i mean i think you can or is it a synthesizer uh, it is you a synthesizer kind of program whatever whatever sound you like exactly you could point it at a different sample library i think okay yeah yeah i've seen it used a lot on a kind of flute sound or a, or a guitar sound but i imagine you could plumb it into anything yeah because we're used we're very much used to the idea of the keyboard being the sort of gold standard sort yeah. of the go-to instrument to like play anything whether it be the piano itself or kind of plug into you know uh, yeah. software instruments and things but if if the keyboard isn't designed for everybody then 
it, you know, it's, it only stands to reason that we have something else that is... Exactly, yeah. And, and another instrument that was there that um, was actually demoed a little bit in the breaks as well was the, uh, was the composer made by Digit Music. Um, so that is based on an interface that a lot of people are um, accustomed to using, which is almost like a gaming joystick. Um, nice. So at its core, what it is, is a joystick that can point into whatever it is, 12 different directions or maybe more, I'm not, I'm not sure. But yeah, you have that. And then there are other controls at the bottom, which kind of change it into chord mode and stuff like that. And it's a way of inputting quite complex harmony or melody with just one joystick that you can do with, with, with one limb. Um, and, and that's sort of aimed at maybe pe- people with mobility disabilities or or visual or any, I suppose any yeah, of that. Yeah, that's the thing with inclusive design. If it's done properly, it doesn't need to be aimed at any specific community. I loved what one of um, one of the representatives said. Um, I even wrote down the quote and I'm going to try and pull it up. He said <laughs> something like, if you design for the edges, you get the center for free. I, I just thought that was exactly. Like, I, I'm probably being an idiot because I bet people have been saying that for years. But it's the first time I heard it. And no, I, I, I can't remember where I first heard that, but I think that is a really, really useful kind of analogy because it is that like designing yeah. something inclusively doesn't take away. It doesn't mean it's not accessible for someone who isn't who isn't disabled. Yeah, yeah. It, it just means it is accessible to everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's some of my role at RNIB. What I really want to see over the next however many years is those design practices being incorporated as standard in mainstream stuff. So the bits and bobs where you can walk into any music shop, they need to be designed inclusively. I'm glad you brought up the RNB. I wanted to ask about it. Um, so what is your exact kind of role there? Uh, it, so I'm music support officer. So I share one role with my great colleague, uh, Daisy Higman. We work... Um, across so many different bases really but we are the kind of music specialists within RNIB. Some of that is helping the kind of site loss advice service answer any music related inquiries that come in. Some of that is working directly with music equipment manufacturers or education providers to make sure their services are are more inclusive. Do you work kind of directly with with musicians? Yeah so we do do that kind of direct support. I think the intention is that mine and daisy's time is spent on supporting organizations more though so that yeah um it's almost like supporting people to support people teach a man to fish exactly that. exactly so <laughs> um so we, we, we spend a lot of time talking to organizations and to kind of manufacturers and you know all, all that kind of thing but obviously we, we do do one-to-one support as well Every day, you know, things pop up or you know, we, we have things that sort of get in the way uh, thing, or things that vision loss gets in the way of, like yeah, travel yeah. And, and all that kind of thing. What, what are some of your kind of hardest non-musical uh, tasks? Yeah, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, which is the kind of networking and recognising people out and about. Um, that, that's yeah. been quite a big thing for me and the way that kind of it can affect your confidence a little bit. Because I've not been, I guess, overly forthcoming about my site in the past, you know, traditionally, I've not always used a cane. I do have a a, a symbol cane that I use sometimes, but um, I guess I'm not in the habit of using it all the time. That I guess that's my own internalized ableism in a way, because 90% of the time I can get by just about without needing the kind of yeah what that affords, if that makes sense. It's one thing that I've been a bit 
at a bit of a crossroads at for the last few years, really, because it's like I'm really on that boundary of should I use this all the time? It's a weird thing to try and articulate. Like, I guess I worry a little bit that sometimes people think that maybe I'm a bit weird socially because my eyes are moving around. Maybe I look a bit shifty. Well, not in my experience, Jay. If, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask about that, actually, because it isn't something that I can really pick up on. But you were, you were saying how your your eyes kind of have a bit of a shake. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe your eyeball and your lens is, is like differently shaped is yeah. that something that's kind of visible maybe you don't know either <laughs> is that something that people can pick up on in a social situation i think so um yeah if you were to look into my eyes wouldn't recommend it um <laughs> yeah you you would notice them jiggling about um and also i think where i've got so anyone with nystagmus has like a null point which is the point the direction you look in where you have the least kind of movement if that makes sense and that's very rarely like straight ahead so I'm often just looking off to the side a little bit, <laughs> um, gotcha, yeah. which, you know, if you're not acquainted with anyone with sight loss, that might seem a bit weird um, because I am quite short sighted. I'm not getting everyone's kind of body language cues or mannerisms mm. or, or things like that. Um, and sometimes that sets off the internal thought of like, am I not giving people what they want in terms of body language or, you know, is there some kind of miscommunication there? Um, yeah, it can be very anxiety inducing. I remember at school because I've got um, severe central vision loss and if I look directly at somebody, I can't see them. So mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of kind of looking over people's shoulders in order to see their face. Yeah, yeah. But that made people, uh, you know, you can't really see on a podcast format, but that made people kind of look over their shoulder to be like, well, you know, you're talking. Are you talking to me? Who, who are you talking yeah. to? What are you looking at? Why are you looking over there? And you know, I was sort of hyper conscious of this. I didn't want to kind of make people feel weird. So I sort of trained myself to look directly at people's face so mm-hmm. that they didn't feel weird, even though it meant that I couldn't see them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe I, sh- maybe I should be a bit more um, unapologetic about it. But I, th- I think it's difficult sometimes to sort of know. Yeah. And I'm certainly kind of owning it a bit more these days with, with that yeah. kind of thing. I just, yeah, I've kind of... I just don't really care about it so much um, and just feel a bit more confident talking about it. But it's certainly something that I struggled with going through my 20s, you know, going to gigs and stuff. And I don't know when you're aware that people are around you kind of schmoozing or whatever and not unless I'm right up in someone's face. I don't know who they are. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if I've met them before. Yeah. It's a huge part of the gig as well. Yeah. And I I kind of it's weird. I, I love a phone call, which people seem to like generally hate phone calls, but it takes that element of it. Out. Yeah, you're have you're having the same experience of the conversation yeah, as yeah. as the person on the other end of the call. Yeah, and I think that's why like I just you know I'm not a fan of networking really in those kind of big kind of conference type events. You're doing all right on that conference <laughs> the other week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's um I sort of touched on this on in the article that I did for Sound Without Sight, but the whole like it, you know who you know thing and the idea of like schmoozing at networking events or in bars after after shows or whatever. Yeah, and it feels like it's like a really important part of the mm-hmm. of this sort of industry or of building your network that kind of like being able to sort of go up to people and just chat to them and talk your way into jobs and some people yeah, are good yeah. at it but i think it is a bit of a myth to be honest and it's or or it's much less important yeah to grow up and realize like actually it's just it's just about doing a job well yeah it, it can be helpful for the people who it comes really naturally to you know they they thrive in those environments but there are plenty of people who don't and that's nothing to do with sight loss it's just you know how different people work there are other ways to to get jobs (laughs) yeah no absolutely one thing that this has reminded me of now is um 
doing the kind of studio work, being the engineer, quite a lot of the kind of quality time to get to know the artist or whatever is over lunch. In those moments, I was always so drained and kind of eye strained from doing the work that, again, maybe it's something that I was overthinking, but I always felt like I kind of underperformed in the kind of allotted social time (laughs) because because you really need that time to kind of switch your brain off a little bit and kind of maintain focus for the afternoon's work I guess and yeah it must take a bit of time to develop the confidence as well to to say in that kind of context like guys I'm visually impaired and I find all this like I'm 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 fine but I do just need a bit of time to rest my brain for 10 minutes yeah yeah (laughs) I'll be over here for a sec yeah (laughs) and I think I would be a lot a lot more confident doing that these days. What would uh, your advice be to somebody maybe in, in that kind of position, sort of starting out as an engineer with low vision? Yeah, I, I, it's difficult. you just got to keep a tab on all of those things that, that I've been talking about. Um, I think it's easy to get sucked into the culture of working for 12 hours each day um, because yes. you think that's what people do. But like, it doesn't have to be that way. Do what you're doing with confidence. Do it in in your in your spare time if you feel comfortable doing that. Um, mm. You know, get comfortable on your own setup if you have a setup that you can do that on. And yeah, I think reach out to the support that does exist. Um, hopefully, something like Sound Without Sight will make that easier to access. Um, My advice would be come <laughs> to talk to me because I know. <laughs> but I bet that is great advice. You know, uh, actually, you know, I, I sort of made a joke about it. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. N- now that now that you've created Sound Without Sight, like it's an amazing platform for someone like that to go to. Yeah. No. Again, like overwhelming um, imposter syndrome. But Sound Without Sight is there, and also you know, music advisory service at RNIB. Yeah. Um, if you are a person with with sight loss, then come and have a chat. Yeah, no, we're in we're in a great time now because there's there's a lot more info available and a lot more support available than than there used to be. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, I'm just looking forward to like seeing the the result of all that, and hopefully, like in the coming years, there'll be much better representation of blind and partially sighted people in music. I mean, we've we've said it a few times, but like can't can't stress enough would recommend checking out the sound without sight uh website and knowledge help and stuff is there anything else that you'd like to kind of plug any any uh, music projects <laughs> you've been working on recently or i'm i'm not a big plugger um i i, I always <laughs> fail at this kind of question but i mean i would say that there are kind of credit aggregator websites that do all that job for me i don't even have a website that says what i do particularly like i say i i really like working with up-and-coming artists um that's the work that i really enjoy doing at the moment i think it'd be unfair for me to plug one over and the others because they're all great like i work on i work on stuff that i enjoy so diplomatic i think feels like really nice like any any music that makes me feel something that's what i want to work on so so it's a plug to artists to come and see jay and record because you sound great (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the show jay it's so nice to talk to you thank you very much for having me no it's been super super nice Hello, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Next time we're going to hear from a wonderful opera singer called Bethan Langford. She's performed at the Royal Opera House and the English National Opera, amongst other more specific work to do with disability and blindness. So stay tuned for that. As ever, you're more than welcome to get in touch via my social media accounts at Bobby underscore Golder with any questions. And finally, I'd be super grateful if you could leave a review and a star rating on whatever podcast platform you use um, to help the podcast grow and to uh, help it reach more people. Thank you so much and see you next week. Thanks for listening.